Welcome to the new episode of the Radio Data Podcast. Today our expert guest is Danius Knuksta, who lives in Copenhagen in Denmark, and he works as an AI product lead at Forecast. Forecast is the work intelligence company and we'll be talking about using data and AI in project and people management. However, as always, let's start with the introduction. Danius, could you please introduce yourself and your company to our audience? Alrighty, hello everyone. Uh, thanks, Adam, for inviting me to your podcast. Um, yeah, my name is Danius, and uh, I have been extremely passionate about one thing all my professional life, and that's solving real-world problems with technology. And I have a very strong personal preference towards that technology, being specifically AI technologies. Um, so I think I've been in the field now for almost 20 years, um, somewhere in between 15 and 20, depends on how you count. And um, I've always kind of tried solving real, real, real world problems. So, you know, that's, I guess, one of the reasons why I'm not working for social media companies. I, uh, I, I still think they create more problems than, than they solve, um, but, uh, but that's a, a separate podcast episode, I guess. Uh, currently at Forecast, and we're trying to help people manage their work pipelines better. And we're focusing on companies that are project-based, um, so they have uh, a set of clear deliverables. Very often those deliverables are actually to the external client. So we're mostly focusing on consultancies, agencies, um, software houses, marketing houses, um, big and small. Uh, our customers range from 10 people, uh, you know, bespoke design agency to a 3,000 people software and AI development consultancy. Um, and they all have one thing in common. They want to be- make the best out of the resources that they have and their most precious asset and resource is their people. Uh, so how you make sure that you utilize your available resources and manage your work as it flows through the company is extremely important to them. And this is the niche that we decided to tackle, not just with a Kanban board, which is a very common approach. If you look at you know companies like Mondays and Asanas of the world, it's mostly focusing on you know how the work flows through some kind of set of statuses. Uh, but we figured that there's actually more. And those two specific things that were kind of always missing in our heads was one, that AI is, is more or less underutilized, or even if it is utilized, it's it's mostly for kind of, you know, mechanical mundane tasks. Oh, can you pre-fill my you know, fields with my most common values and so on? Uh, I mean, that's kind of a trivial and, and very low value, I would say, type of task to, to try and deploy AI for. And the second one is what we call integrated intelligence. Um, there's a set of principles that we bake into our product. You know, one of them is ask me once, use always. So instead of, you know, having to update manually, oh, in this screen, this person is working on this task. Now you go to the sprint and in the sprint, people every morning do their daily standups and they have to update, you know, their statuses there again. Then you want to do some invoicing. You need to, again, manually include all of the relevant work and so on. So it's kind of the user keeps inputting the same and the same and the same, just in different contexts. And and that's one of the easiest examples to to kind of showcase what we mean by integrated intelligence. Um, We try to make from the user's perspective completely invisible where AI kicks in, where it ends, where we need some kind of interaction from the user, and then feedback all of that, again, into our proprietary models. Um, so that's what we call the integrated intelligence. And I think this is a, a, a very big differentiator for us. And uh, if you don't want to take my word for it, I have my favorite customer quote when they saw one of our recent uh, releases. I think it was end of last year. Um, they said, okay, I don't know how Forecast knows this, 
this is witchcraft, but I love it. And this is how I know that I did my job well as a, as a product leader in, in, in this organization. That's exactly what I'm after. I'm after happy customers who could not care less how this came about, but they find it valuable, they love it, and it's actually useful and valuable in the day-to-day operations. So that's, that's the best recognition. I have a number of follow-up questions, but maybe we can start first with the data. So could you please describe what type of data do you collect or do you have at Forecast? So we're not an entirely new company. We've been around for a bit longer than five years, I think almost six or something like that. And uh, so far, our customers have managed to completion about 200,000 distinct projects. And by projects, I mean the totality of you know the holy trinity of a project. So you have information about the budget, what is going to be my cost, what is my margin. If we're talking about agencies, the margin aspect is extremely important. Uh, what is my revenue? Is it PNM? Is it fixed price? And all of the budget and financial details. Then, of course, you have the scope bubble. And in the scope bubble, that's all about what exactly needs to be done. Do we know it? Do we not know it? Is it if it's you know, if it's an agile project, sometimes you don't know the full details. If it's a more of a waterfall, we have customers who operate purely in waterfall fashion. They spend significant time scoping out the project down to a single task level and allocate people you know, to those specific tasks. So that's kind of the third big component of project management. And of course, the last one is time dimension. Are we going to make it on time? Um, how much time do we have it? And you know, people keep making trade-offs. So our data revolves around these three aspects. So the work that needs to be done, the assets that you have to do the work with, and the time dimension. Uh, and of course, budget covers your assets as well, uh, depending on how much you want to deploy your teams or or, or, or any other asset. Um, so we have yeah, managed more than 200,000 projects so far. Um, I think last time I checked, it was about eight and a half million tasks uh, in terms of you know distinct data points. So that's also interesting. Um, and I think the total value, if we look at financial value of the projects that we have seen through forecast is is exceeding two billion dollars by now uh so it is uh, it, it is quite a lot that we have already seen through our platform of course a lot of that information is anonymized and so on i mean we're a european startup so we know how europe thinks about data privacy and, and protection and so on um so i think this also kind of baked from the very early days this attitude that it's not wild west of data. It's not like you know we're gonna go and left and right and, and expect everything. So I think it's a, in the beginning maybe it was a bit of a creativity killer, if you, if you know what I mean. Uh, especially compared to some of our competitors who operate in in other continents. Um, but now we're seeing actually the benefits of it that because we kind of adhered from the very beginning to those you know data accessibility and and, and other regulatory standards, uh, we have actually less and less problems over the long run when some of our competitors who started off in a, in a completely random fashion now are getting questions asked by their customers and they don't have an answer to that. So I think that's kind of, you know, the, the second dimension that has contributed quite, uh, quite greatly to our approach to managing data. And I think the last piece is, of course, well, AI. Um, we, uh, we, we try to utilize all of that data so that we can provide tailored and personalized experiences. 
um, as I like to say to, to sometimes to my teams, there are things that are roughly standardized, at least on a regional level or maybe even on a continental level, like, you know, how you do accounting, PL, general ledger. There's regulation. And if we want to support companies, you know, who need to close the year and they need to export all of their invoices into some kind of, you know, accounting system and, and provide all of the books uh, for review or for inspection by auditors or whatever, that's pretty much standardized. But there's no golden standard how people manage their work. I've heard so many companies say, oh, we're, we're an agile company and we're using Scrum, but, and the keyword is, but, but we're not doing that, but we're doing this differently, but, 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 but. Um, so that also you know, dictates how we approach actually manipulating and transforming the data so that we can actually provide those learnings to our customers by acknowledging the fact that we're not trying to kind of you know, shoehorn everyone into one flow. If you say you're doing Scrum, that you should be doing it like this. Uh, we do support you if, if you wanna do Scrum by the book, but we will not you know, blame you for not being very diligent with your processes. And I think this is one of also uh, key learnings for me. When I came to this company, I was um, expecting that people are very diligent and um, well, I learned the hard way they're not. So I think one of the value propositions that I'm, I'm now slowly kind of starting to test is what if you could get the benefits of a structure without having to manually maintain it? And it sounds like it's resonating with the market. So I think that's also gonna be one of the areas where we um, combine our integrated intelligence in terms of data as as source of data, and then, uh, yeah, the proprietary algorithms that we're building on top. Uh, you mentioned that you have uh, the data sets about uh, projects and tasks. I believe that you also have data sets about the companies uh, plus uh, experts, I mean, people who are working on those yes. tasks. Yes, absolutely. So we're, we're, we're kind of building a product that cuts across those three project management dimensions. So, you know, you could call it scope, budget, time. You could call it people, work, and revenues. Uh, there are many ways to kind of coin those areas. Uh, some call them, you know, resource management, work management, and financial management. Um, so there are different ways to call it, but they all boil down to the same hard data points. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a company that has come up with a value proposition of delivering work to their clients using the resources that they have. And those resources can be you know, tangible, intangible. Maybe they have some intellectual property that they have developed. Maybe they have some people that are just really good at doing something and they want to make the most out of it. So, yes. Yeah, and I concluded that uh, the use cases uh, that you built on top of uh, this data are related to reporting, to see how people are working on particular tasks, how many people are working in a given project, uh, things like that. Also, insights that you can give to some companies that uh, that maybe the way that they work uh, is not exactly what they intended to have. Uh, plus, uh, I believe that also the name of your company, Forecast, uh, means something. So maybe some uh, forecast about the future work, about the trends, about maybe projects that uh, the company might uh, develop in the future with a given number of people or given competences that they have gained uh, during their current work. So could you please elaborate more on those categories of use cases? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it goes without saying, uh, reporting as a concept is pretty much embedded into any kind of you know business to business type of solution and we're a b2b saas company so of course our customers 
want to get a view into hard data. And that goes without question. It's it's a universal need by now. Um, you know, the concept of business intelligence has been around for a few decades, and uh, it has been kind of set as a base expectation. Like there is no B two B platform without a certain level of reporting baked in uh, these days. But that's also just the very beginning, right? I, uh, I normally in my head when thinking about the, the use cases and the value propositions follow a maybe too simplified, but to me at least quite useful model, right? There's data where as a user, I need to dig through it to figure something out, right? Imagine instead of a weather forecast, I got a table with 7,000 rows showcasing the past temperatures on an hourly basis in the region where I live. And I would have to figure out, okay, so do I need an umbrella today or not? Yes, I could maybe do it, but I need to dig through the data. Then the next level is, okay, you know, there is a level of insight provided. So there is some kind of, you know, kind of massaging of the data performed on my behalf so that I do get exactly those bits of information or insights. I need to interpret them. I need to think what they mean in my context. So let's say, you know, it's going to be cloudy today. Okay, you know, that's, that's a good insight. Um, Maybe I, I don't need to put on sunscreen in the morning when leaving the house, or maybe I should not you know bring my sunglasses, uh, but it's totally up to me. So I, I still need to think what to do with this. I need to contextualize that information and so on. And then there's the third level where you can call it you know, like knowledge. I know something for a fact and I can immediately act on it. Like I know it will rain at five o'clock. So maybe I should not be leaving the office 5.30. I maybe should be leaving the office at 4.30 so that I actually get home before it starts raining. So that gives me ability to act with confidence. And this is how I think about the use cases. So as I said, you know, those data points reporting and so on, they're kind of standard expectations. But I think what we're now seeing with, you know, emergence of all of the AI technologies is more on the other end of the spectrum. You know, how do we collaborate with those machine learning and AI assistants, bots, models, uh, platforms, there are many names for it, um, so that we can actually act with confidence. So one of the use cases is um, something that I just mentioned already about this feedback that we got being witchcraft is a, from the user's perspective, very simple thing. If you open up your project scope and you're, let's say, I don't know, one third into your project, uh, some of the tasks will have a tiny little yellow exclamation mark next to them. And when you click on it, it will say something along the lines, we think this task is underestimated because in your past projects, we found three similar tasks with a very similar description, similar people assigned to it, you know, similar stage in the project and the project in itself was similar and all of those three overran. So you might want to check it out. Like this is something to maybe go back to your team as a project manager and say, okay, guys, you know, there was this project last year and it looks like, you know, the models assess that they're actually very similar, right? So it's like from modeling perspective, you have two vectors, you know, tokenized tasks, and then we just measure the angle. And if they are similar enough, we expose those to the users, right? So that the user doesn't have to go through manually past projects and see, if, did we do something similar? Do we have any learnings to transfer from those projects? And this directly addresses one of the main project management principles, post-mortems and learning from past projects. I've heard so many people talk about it, but over the course of my career, I have not seen that many people actually act on it simply because it's just tedious. It's manual cognitive load to go through 50 past projects 
and figure out what the exact learnings should be transferred to the new projects. So we kind of you know address that use case. So that's, I guess, a very uh, straightforward example. Uh, we have some other models which, uh, for example, help detect redundant work, and this is more relevant for larger organizations. In a larger organization, and you know, when I was working also in a in a, in a corporate setting. I would constantly see people do the same thing without knowing about each other actually doing the same thing. Uh, communication and collaboration works quite differently from a company like mine, where we are less than 100 people, to a company which has 80,000 people. So one of our larger customers were also super excited to hear that we're you know, deploying a, a, a similarity model which simply helps them understand, okay, is there an opportunity to optimize the overall work portfolio? Because it seems like people are actually working on very, very similar stuff, or maybe in some cases, redundant, completely the same. And then there are many other use cases that we're supporting. So, you know, if there's something of particular interest, I can, I can elaborate on those as well. But I think these are kind of, you know, quite uh, straightforward examples of, of how we approach problem solving with AI in the space of work management. Yeah, exactly. And does it also mean that you can integrate with third-party software, like, for instance, uh, Jira, uh, so that you specifically know that there are, let's say, two people from different countries working on a similar problem because they, yes. they created their own Jira tasks for that, or maybe there, there is some something in the description of the, the task or in the comments that suggest that. Yes. Um, one other of our product principles is that we don't want people to feel like they need to lock into forecast completely. Like we're not an either or solution. Uh, one of the product principles was always to be open and integrate with systems that people have already established workflows in. So quite a few of our customers do indeed prefer that, you know, most of their teams work in Jira and uh, the value from forecast comes from Forecast being kind of that, you know, intelligence layer on top of Jira. Um, so yes, we, we do have two ways, synchronizations with most of the work management systems, uh, financial systems, same story. Uh, you know, we're, we're not trying to build a full quoting, invoicing and procurement system, but we do appreciate the fact that, you know, once you're running a project and it's kind of the end of it, well, it would be nice if you could just automatically push all of the information about you know, who worked for how many hours, if companies doing time tracking, all of the time tracking data, if companies not doing time tracking, then you know, some kind of estimates and so on, so that you can also you know, minimize that, uh, that manual copy paste between systems. So yes, we, we, we do offer and both rely for additional information on, on third party systems quite uh, frequently. And you also mentioned that you can find similar tasks uh, that someone did in the past. And based on that suggest that uh, maybe a given task is underestimated. And what happens if not? Let's assume that you have a task to work on some ML AI model. Let's assume that company like uh, my uh, uses your product but this time we decided let's say to use a dedicated machine learning platform so that uh, we deploy a model on production much faster than before so we use something uh, under the hood that accelerates this time the development of uh, machine learning model or the second example knowledge sharing is our value so we often write blog posts about something related to our work. Sometimes we write it alone, sometimes with customers. But let's say that this time we 
decided to use a chat GPT <laughs> a little bit to right. make uh, <laughs> uh, write this blog post faster than before. And do you also discover this in some way or maybe ask customers for uh, feedback, uh, explicit data that can help you to figure out that this task, okay, it's similar to the previous ones, but this time it was developed faster because you have more resources available actually to uh, to make it happen. So it's very likely that in the future, the same task will be developed also faster. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think my favorite uh, sentence here is coming from the financial industry where whenever you get some kind of financial report, they have this you know sentence saying, Past performance does not guarantee future performance. So, and this is exactly, you know, the kind of thing about machine learning models, right? It's like, yes, we are learning from historical data. We are also uh, employing the day right here, right now. So it's it's not like some kind of, you know, month old model training or something. We, we do have both depending on the use case. Some data changes very frequently. Some data changes very infrequently. So we, we employ both approaches. We have batch learning. We have online learning. Uh, we also implement feedback loops for the users where relevant. So for example, in this case of the similar tasks having overrun in the past, uh, the users have the option to just, you know, say, nope, this is not relevant. This is not relevant. This is not at all similar. You you got it completely wrong. Um, they can, you know, discard the thing whatsoever, which also serves as feedback for us that, you know, we were kind of hinting to the user that they should think about it. And they said, no, again, we take that into account. Uh, so the feedback loop mechanisms are, are in place where, again, it makes sense to get that feedback from the user. Um, but yeah, it's it's very difficult. Uh, we have another set of models which we call like work anomaly models. Um, you know, because quite a lot of our customers uh, are feeling the pains of both uh, people having this internal motivation to make things happen no matter what, which in the short term is maybe good, but eventually leads to burnout. Um, so on an experimental level, we are now looking into models, which would be able to, for example, predict even things like burnout, like this person is consistently performing well, everything is, you know, as estimated and so on, but there is a cost at which that comes. So, you know, simply keeping an eye on, are there any anomalous moments in time where, you know, let's say a person like myself, I'm, I'm, I'm not an early morning person. I'm more of a late night person. So if the model was looking at my behavioral patterns. The model would figure out very quickly that usually I start working around 9, 9.30 and I finish around 8 p.m. So that's my normal. My colleagues are completely opposite. You know, one of my colleagues is in the office at seven o'clock every morning and, uh, and leaves sharp after work. So we have different ways of working. And as I said previously, there is no standard for how you want to work. As long as we get our jobs done, it's great. Um, so we have explored with training that like personal level uh, anomaly models where instead of you know showcasing that information to some managerial persona again, it, it would just be personal insights. Like, hey, it seems like your working patterns have changed. Like, are you okay? So, so that's another thing where we're trying to detect things where they are no longer as they used to be. Uh, but this is again, quite, uh, quite tricky. Uh, we have another product principle, which is never throw people under the bus even though we get, especially from our overseas customers, requests like, well, you're saying that this project is gonna overrun because there are many, many tasks overrunning. Could you say who exactly is the reason for that? And we're like, no, <laughs> we're not gonna go into that space. We're not gonna be throwing people under the bus. It's your company, it's your project, it's your teams. We're here to raise your awareness about potential risks. And I think this is 
kind of the best explanation of what forecast is about. It's 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 about trying to expose potential risks that you don't necessarily are always aware of. And in some cases, we can even offer a potential list of solutions, how to go about it. Uh, but we also, as I said, we, we respect privacy, we respect data um, requirements, and, and we don't want to kind of expose things where it could lead to negative situations, especially if we are wrong, exactly to your point. What if we were wrong? So you know, even in a simple scenario, if I predict that, you know, the Indus is about to burn out because of his behavioral patterns, and that gets all the way to my CEO, and he's like, well, if the guy's burning out anyway, I might as well just get the new product lead into the company. And the model was wrong. So, you know, it, it has very significant implications. And I think this is when developing AI-powered products, we always need to think about not just, you know, the data that we use as inputs, not the technical approaches. Is it online, offline, batch learning, and so on? And what kind of models to use? Is it, is it you know, in GPT or, or is it in-house modeling efforts and so on? But also the consequences. What if we are right? What if we are wrong? What if somebody disagrees with us? Can we explain our thinking and so on? And I think this is extremely important, especially with higher implication uh, features. And I think that's why a lot of our competitors, they're going into that space. It's very easy to say, well, yeah, I was um, auto-completing based on your research searches, uh, the word. Okay, what's the worst that can happen? Well, you use Backspace to delete the word. You type in the new word, life goes on. Uh, but if we're talking about more impactful value propositions, which are higher value add, then we also need to think more about the implications of us yeah, simply being wrong. Yes, those are really, really good use cases. And I also think that it should be possible for you to discover what talent and or passion a given person has based on the tasks that he or she uh, completes. Because a person who is passionate and very strong at a particular group of tasks, this person might finish those tasks faster, might uh, create additional tasks to share the knowledge, maybe help others, maybe speak publicly about that. And at the same time, the same person might not be as efficient, a different group of tasks uh, where he or she is not uh, feeling so passionate or maybe so good. And maybe he or she asks very often for help. So thanks to that, you can also uh, maybe help people or their managers to think about career path for a given person, or at least to uh, discover the skills that could be developed uh, further. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. We don't really call it detection of passion, even though it mm -hmm. would be a really cool model name fashion detector, uh, but uh, we do actually have a, a, a model which we call a suitability model. Uh, one thing to note is that we know for a fact that there are different ways of work distribution. Some of our customers are very top-down, as I said, they're very waterfall companies, or maybe not necessarily waterfall, but even in an agile setting, they, they kind of adhere more to the top-down practices where people don't really get to choose what they work, on based on their profiles and based on the you know the resource manager and the project manager's knowledge they just get assigned a specific task you know john this wednesday you're going to be working on this 
then the estimate is eight hours. So we should be done by the end of the day, which means that on Thursday, you're going to be working on this. And if you don't complete it on Wednesday, well, then we will discuss how to go about it. Do we overrun it and, and so on, right? So that's one way. The other way is indeed, as you say, some people actually, you know, pick and choose and that's more agile companies. Uh, people, again, adhere to company priorities, of course, you know, even in agile, you have the notion of prioritization of work. Uh, but then indeed, you know, people are kind of free to choose, you know, I'm going to pick up this, so I, I'm going to pick up that. Um, so we have developed a, a, what we call a suitability model for existing work and for future work. So that that managerial effort is actually reduced. Uh, we usually score about 80% accuracy in that based on our customer feedback that whenever, let's say you're starting to scope out a new project and you have scoped it out to the best of your ability of initial scoping, um, you need to start looking for, okay, who's gonna actually execute on that work? Um, then our suggestions for current and future work is roughly 80% correct, at least correct as perceived by the user, meaning that they agree, yes, this is indeed a good suggestion. I'm gonna go with those. And in about 20% of cases, we, for one or another reason, missed the point, but that again is about you know changing the environment. Maybe a new person joined the company and we simply don't know anything about that person yet. So sometimes we do have these cold start problems where you know, a new company joins. And of course, we require a couple of weeks of work in the platform to actually tailor our generic predictions for that company or for that specific person. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's uh, it, it's one of the aspects where we see a lot of potential for AI powered, let's say, resource management on a company level and also on the project level as well. I think that 80% is very impressive number. And I believe that you also work on improving that. Uh, so maybe can, you can share a bit how you work on the development of AI ML models what technology stack do you use or what MLOps tools uh, you use in your daily work? Because we have already mentioned a number of models that you have implemented. Also the similarity model that you mentioned before. So how, how do you work at Forecast with ML and AI? What technologies do you use and what are your best uh, practices that you uh, developed internally? I think in our case, we are, and not because we want to, but because we have to, we are pretty early stage company still, uh, where we need to be extremely pragmatic and in some cases, even opportunistic, uh, which implies that we're trying to, of course, not spend time building something that we can use to validate our assumptions. Um, so when it comes to language understanding, uh, one of the first technologies that we used from the outside was uh, Google's BERT uh, language model, uh, which of course, you know, saved us all of the time and effort trying to kind of build something of our own. Uh, it is available for commercial use. So why, why try to figure out if, you know, the difference between a sentence, I am running a project and my project is running late, the word running has a completely different meaning in those two sentences. Uh, so if we want to interpret, if there's a risk of a certain project being late, we need to understand what different words mean in the context of project management. So to minimize effort that we need to spend on, on, on this level of understanding, we, of course, use pre-trained models. Um, same goes for the pipeline. We we deploy everything to the cloud. Uh, so we're, we're a fully cloud-native company. Um, that gives us the flexibility of you know, spinning up and down machines based on our training needs, experimentation needs. Uh, if we just wanna see if you know, there is a valuable use case in um, 
Um, I can give you a concrete example. Currently, we're uh, experimenting and we will soon roll out the first version of another value-added AI application, which is about time tracking. A lot of our customers do time tracking so that they can do accurate invoicing. And depending on the size of the company, we can be talking about anywhere between five and 20 minutes every week that a single person spends on simply clicking on various start stop buttons, entering time, entering time off. Yes, I took half a day off, so minus four hours and so on and managing their timesheets. Um, that if we're talking about a company of 200 people is a significant investment into a very simple thing that they need to ensure that they're basing their invoicing and optimization on accurate data. Um, so we actually now trained a model and that's where you know being cloud native is, is, is very nice. We can just easily spin up and replicate our data pipelines and machine learning environment. Try to train a model and see, okay, from a person's perspective, let's say from my perspective, if I come to forecast on a Friday afternoon and I'm done with my week and now I need to fill my weekly timesheet, what should have ended on my timesheet? based on my past work and my allocation to projects and the types of tasks that they work, what should be on my timesheet? Maybe, and you know, our current models in, in some cases even hit about 65, 70% accuracy. Again, if we're saying that it takes 20 minutes and we're taking 60 to 70% off that time so that it's already there and I just need to add the remaining 30%, it's already a massive value add for a company that the employees are still in control. They still get the accurate data but they don't spend so much time on it. So for, for this specific use case, it's all custom built. It's mostly Python's, uh, Python-based uh, yeah, training pipeline. Uh, we use SageMaker. Uh, we use OpenSearch for quicker retrieval of fuzzy data. Um, TensorFlow is, 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 is one of the things that we also have really rely on. Um, what else is there? In terms of serving uh, and the inference, we do have our proprietary mechanisms. So we, we just noticed that for us, especially with the level of control and experimentation, because again, I'm a product person now, I, I, I'm also just like yourself, not, uh, not much hands-on anymore. Uh, so from product perspective, it's very often for me, for example, important to validate what levels of accuracy are good enough for people. So that we can you know, easily A-B test, not just the UIs, but also A-B test the model outputs. Um, so for that, we have built our own proprietary uh, infrastructure. Uh, we simply couldn't really find anything that was very, um, with a low entry barrier enough for us to actually buy like a commercial product. Um, a lot of insights about our users' behaviors, once we roll something out, uh, are coming from Amplitude. So Amplitude is, is, is a great tool for then the behavioral monitoring of, of users on the platform so that we see, okay, we designed this user journey like this, you know, the AI kicks in at this and that step. Are people engaging with that as we designed or did they actually find some completely new different way that is actually more convenient for them and we have not thought about it? Um, yeah. And do you use any specific ML ops? Uh, tools such as MLflow, Ketra, or maybe dedicated ML platforms? Uh, uh, so, uh, I mean, like the, the technologies that can like su support the whole life cycle of your machine learning models. We're slowly getting in that direction. We, we have not yet 
decided to invest time in that. Again, as I said, we're we're relatively small, and for us, we need to focus. Uh, we we don't have unlimited resources, and our focus is currently on experimenting more on the value propositions of the models. Mm-hmm. So even if we just need to, you know, hack together a Jupyter notebook in which we actually find some, you know, nice little charts and we somehow convert those, let's say anomaly detection, right? It's like, okay, we, we see some distributions and variants, you know, changing course. Let's just take that data, shove it into one of the services that hooks up straight to the UI and test it. Uh, it's less for us important to have this, you know, traceability. And uh, I think, again, with our larger customers, we're now starting to hear questions. Could you roll back, you know, the previous version? Okay, we we currently cannot do that. If we have a new version of a model, we have deployed that model for that company. We're, we're not versioning our models, at least not in an automated fashion. Yes, we could dig through the code and, you know, find the outputs and, and, and so on, but that's more of a manual effort. Um, but again, as I said, this is not necessarily a, the main priority right now. The main priority is to rapidly explore the distinct value propositions that AI can deliver to our customers. And then once we have found one or two or five that works, uh, then we of course you know, make sure that everything is, is running in an automated fashion, that we have testability also to some extent, as much as it is possible with non-deterministic nature of AI. Uh, but we're still even, you know, trying to write automated tests for for our models that we can at least monitor how, how they behave. Um, but most of that is currently custom built, um, simply because, well, our data science folks also have engineering backgrounds. So they're like, yeah, while you guys debate which tool to buy, we already have a system in place and we're ready to run fast. And I think this is the right attitude for us right now. Mm-hmm. But it will it will change in the future. Yes, and I would like to also ask about interesting trends in your industry and specifically about AI versus uh, humans in people management uh, space. So do you think that AI will dominate in that industry or or maybe they, there still will be very important uh, tasks that couldn't be done by AI and humans will have to do them? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so for for instance, in your suitability model, do you think that you will achieve 99 or 100% accuracy? Or you will have some cases where human will be always needed to make a final judgment? Yeah, I think this this comes down less to the accuracy, but more to the responsibility and accountability. Um, just like, you know, with autonomous vehicles, it's still not globally regulated because different continents disagree who is ultimately liable for an autonomous vehicle actually getting into an accident or even causing one. That's even more important, right? Um, so with our current customers, we actually have those conversations, especially with a you know more eager customer group. I, I communicate with them pretty much every week. Uh, and we have those conversations very often about the levels of adoption, how deeply AI-powered solutions are embedded in their business, and what are they allowed or not allowed to do. Um, so in most cases, I see that there's definitely emerging curiosity. But I think we as, as humans, especially in the, in the work management space, have not uh, gotten ready to relieve the control from our hands and 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 give it into something. So, uh, well, on one side, 
I think it, it is quite possible that we will you know, figure out who's best suited for a specific work item. Uh, but there's always, at least in, in, in the case of systems like ours, before there's a level of connectivity to other like reality uh, data sources achieved, we will simply not know the full context. You know, maybe one of my team members on Slack just this morning, uh, as today's example, wrote, oh, you know, my, I have a massive toothache. I will just, you know, go to the emergency dentist. There's no value if my model always knew that this person is the best suited to, to do the piece of work because the model simply doesn't know that you know, all of a sudden the person had a toothache. Uh, so unless we're talking about you know the scenario in which the AI is almighty, all-powerful, all-seeing, I don't think we have anything to be afraid of. And I think this is what also causes most of those questions. People hear about advancement in narrow AI and they think that it can also be extrapolated onto the AGI, the artificial general intelligence. So just the fact that we got really, really good at synthesizing language and pictures doesn't mean that we got really, really good at everything that AI can do. And I think with that in mind, I, I'm pretty confident about our customers happily having their jobs and us happily helping them do their jobs better. Mm -hmm. But I uh, also think that your company and especially the data that you have can be very accurate uh, barometer of the adoption of the AI in daily work. Because if you have the feature that lets you know that this particular task can be done by AI or was done by AI, you can track how much uh, tasks in a given team or a given company was done by AI or could be even done by AI because you can suggest the product owner that this is the perfect task for AI actually to do, then you can see if adoption of AI in, in work increases or not increases, or maybe at which point it achieves the maximum value. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a possibility. Um, we are, again, talking on a principle level as a product, we are aiming for making people better. So we call it augmentation, not automation. Um, quite a lot of our customers say, you know, a, a typical project manager used to run 10 projects in parallel. Now with forecast after a year, they're running 15. So yes, their throughput has increased because they, you know, can be more focused. They open up forecast instead of wandering around and digging for what to do today as a project manager, which risks to address. We try to kind of, you know, rank the risks and say, hey, you know, you, you might want to look into this space for this project, this space for that project and so on. So we kind of guide them through, through their work um, and that makes them more effective at what they do. Um, and, and that's where we are trying to establish ourselves as the go-to platform. Whatever the profession you have in the project management space, you know, you can be a portfolio manager, you can be a program director, you can be a resource manager, a project manager, you can be a team lead. You will basically be better. I think one of our, my customers and, and, and also close uh, collaborators when it comes to experimentation, he, he put it very nicely. The expectation from his side is that forecast and his project management team, which is pretty large, are learning together. Because there's always gonna be a spectrum, you know, in any company you have junior developers, you have senior developers, you can have, you know, associate project managers, you can have program directors who have experience. You want to make that learning curve as short as possible so that people get to the same experience level 
quicker. And in return, that's what exactly AI is doing, right? AI is looking at the data and trying to figure out, okay, how can I make this whole organization run run better? And I think this is very nicely put, learning together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I imagine that, uh, let's assume that I use your platform and I have a task, create a picture for my new blog post. Then uh, Forecast can uh, advise me that I can use this AI tool that will automatically generate a picture for me and the task will be done in five, 10 minutes. Or maybe if I troubleshoot some issue or I would like to fix the code that doesn't work, maybe Forecast can advise me like, which tool that I can use or maybe I can get information that someone already solved similar problem with this and this approach. You can also check it. So. Yes. Uh, yeah. So this this could be why, uh, one way of learning together and also getting more efficient in some works that that we know that technology or AI can save us a lot of time. Absolutely. For now, we will stay in in the space of augmentation. Though I I don't think any of our design customers and especially the design users would be very happy if all of a sudden forecast was saying it's like yeah you know what you might want to cut your design task force in half because AI can generate pictures now. As I said, that, that's one of the principles where we want to leave certain decisions for you know the owners of the company. We are here merely to serve them the relevant content. And we definitely will continue doing that. Uh, but the decisions uh, are still with, with the ultimate beneficiaries, business owners, you know, CEOs, COOs, and, and, and whoever else is actually running the business. Uh, if we manage to help them in any way, we are happy. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And last but not least, maybe, when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, I saw your job title as AI product lead. Can you maybe describe how your daily work looks like? Is there any, anything specific in this AI world in your job title? Yeah, I think conceptually, uh, AI or not AI, uh, product management and technology in, in B2B, in, in software as a service, uh, is, is, is conceptually quite, quite similar. Uh, but I believe there are a couple of special AI-powered product management things or considerations. Uh, one is that we're talking about different entry barriers or in general barriers to introduce a product in either a new market or a new organization uh, when it comes to change management and so on. Um, those barriers usually revolve around trust. What I've learned over, over my career is that uh, people don't like to be proven wrong and you know, as funny as it sounds, everybody says, oh, why is this model not performing 99%? Uh, but if it was, and unfortunately the human is only 80% right, then it means that we will have a disagreement about one fifth of the time. And that's where the interesting dynamics start happening. So we actually have to be conscious of that, that people in general as users or customers, they, they don't like being proven wrong. So we also sometimes tone down our models um, not to go into this you know, human versus machine, but as I said previously, we want to develop a platform in which people feel and perceive that they're learning together. So it's not a fight. 
it's a collaboration. And I think this is a special set of considerations that a product person who comes maybe from a retail sector or from a financial sector, uh, or especially from B2C sector, um, has uh, doesn't really have to deal with that much. And I think the other one is, of course, you know, all of the regulatory, regulatory landscape. Uh, AI, especially as you know, in Europe, uh, we're we're having uh, European Commission heavily thinking about, you know, and, and quite strictly, I would have say, thinking about uh, the regulatory landscape, uh, which maybe in, uh, in in other domains is not as important. Uh, so I think yeah, the, the product introduction considerations differ or maybe have additional complexity. And then, of course, questions like what can we do and what we cannot do are with higher order implications in AI powered products. So that's why I think that distinction is is, is kind mm -hmm. of useful. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's really uh, nicely described. Yes, and this question concluded uh, our podcast episode. Dinius, I would like to thank you a lot for sharing your knowledge with us. Absolutely. Anytime. And uh, yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn and let's follow the conversation. If you are interested in getting notifications about future podcast episodes, please subscribe to Radio Data Podcast on Spotify, Apple or YouTube. If you are interested in being an expert guest in one of our episodes, please find me on LinkedIn and send me a message. My name is Adam Kava and I work at Getting Data, which is a data consultancy company. If you would like to learn more about our data, analytics, AI, ML and cloud projects and our services, please visit us at gettingdata.com.